Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, Sleepyheads. This is episode 45 of Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and I'm a witness, a title that has never been more apropos. I have a responsibility to witness this curse, to ward off evil, and to ensure that none of you become casualties of a supernatural war you did not choose to fight. And I'm Barb. And for the record, it's not me. It's you. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Mr. Witness. Okay, well, today we're going to be discussing the eighth Sleepy Hollow episode of Season 4 entitled Sick Burn, which was written by Joey Falco and directed by Darnell Martin. And this was kind of a hot, hot episode there, don't you think, Steve? Indeed it was. Yeah. And I totally enjoyed it because we got a little bit of everything. Oh, we really did. And there was a whole bunch of history just chalked in there that I actually had to Watch three times to make sure that I was catching all of it. I'm not sure that I did, but wow, it's it's fun. We're going to have a whole lot to talk about, and our story moved forward today, too. So, very yes, nice. Yes, it did. Great stuff with Molly and, of course, Jake and Alex. So, let's jump into it. Let's get that recap. I can do that for you, Steve. We open with a frightening vision of the future. Malcolm Dreyfus has taken over America, and an aged Ichabod Crane is his prisoner. In the real world, Molly Thomas waits with her mother Diana and Crane to meet her teen heartthrob, Logan McDonald, but he suddenly falls ill and Crane suspects a supernatural ailment. At the same time, Alex Norwood meets her Tinder date who suddenly begins smoking, literally. Jake Wells accompanies her to the hospital where they run into Crane and they see her Tinder date burst into flames. We soon learn that Alex is also infected with fire flu after she watched a viral video. She flees to the tunnels while Jake, Crane, and Diana learn that Washington, D.C. was subject to a similar outbreak in 1814. They learn that Paul Jennings, Sam Wilson, Davy Crockett, and Sacagawea were part of Agency 355, the forerunners of our team witness, and learn how they stopped the fire flu. They find that Dijen's lair kill him with their version of unholy lightning and rescue Alex, and save Jake. Meanwhile, Jenny and Molly spend the day together, and Molly's inquiries about being a witness continue. She picks the singing bowl as her artifact, implying that she has oracle skills, and she immediately has a vision of the future, seeing an older crane in chains. This frightens and upsets her, and she tells Jenny, who tells Diana. They all realize that Dreyfus is planning something evil. In the final scene, we see Dreyfus painting his new flag, and unconcerned by Job's comments about Crane and Team Witness defeating the Dijon. Dreyfus has seen the future and believes it, and he is waiting for his own team to arrive. The first person to arrive is Logan McDonald. How is Dreyfus planning to use Logan? Scary. You say pestilence? Very, very scary. Indeed. All right, so Steve, why don't we get into some news first? All right, Episode 6, Homecoming. We have the live plus seven days. 
It tied for seventh in adults' 18 to 49 percentage gain, going from a 0.5 to a 1.0 for an increase of 100%. And it was eighth in viewers' percentage gain, going from 2.0 to 3.424 million viewers for an increase of 71%. We got the final ratings for episode seven, Loco Parentis. It was. Came in at a 0.5 and a 2 share and 18 to 49 with 1.82 million viewers. So a very slight drop in the viewers. And our preliminary ratings for Sick Burn, 0.5 and a 2 share and 18 to 49 with 1.76 million viewers. And of course, we want to welcome all our UK listeners as they finally got the premiere of season four this week that aired on Wednesday in the UK. Good for them. Yes. I don't think they're going to catch up, though, before we end the season. No, I don't think so. Just a guess. Yeah, disappointing to see uh, these ratings down a little bit this week. I was a bit surprised by that. I thought that they would have been up a little bit more. But I can't wait to see what the Live Plus 7 has to say. Right. And as long as we're in that 3 to 4 million number, I think we're probably pretty good. And the UK will be adding all their numbers also, so yes, that'll be I nice to pull that sure I sent a tweet to um, Mr. Izcove this week uh, regarding that fact. <laughs> yeah, I saw <laughs> some of that Twitter. I do hope they um, take that into consideration that Sleepy Hollow is the number one import in the UK, and we have quite the following over there. So Yeah, they saw that. I think they liked that tweet. Yes, Mr. Iscove did. Yes. All right, so let's get into some ratings. Steve, how did you rate this episode? I gave it nine Celtic Shield Knot. Very nice. I want to know where I can get... Take all nine of them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know where I can get one of those things so I can hang it at my house. Actually, maybe I'll take it to work to ward off evil spirits. That would be fun. (laughs) I could use one. Okay, and I gave it eight cases of influenza incendium. Fire flu. That sounds like a, a Harry Potter spell. Influenza incendium. Right. Yep. Linda gave it 8.5 who generations. And she says Crane has definitely been studying. So for those of you who missed that, we'll explain that. Yes, we will. Annette gave it eight Tinder dates. She said it was a good episode and very creepy. And Julie gave it eight adorable newsboy hats. And she said she loved Jake's style this week. Indeed, he was decked out for a date that didn't show. Yeah, oh, that end was so sad. I felt so bad for him. But we'll talk about that after you launch us with uh, Ichabod and Team Witness. Yes, and of course, we open the episode with this god-awful nightmare for Crane, but sweet dreams for Dreyfus, as he is now in charge of everything and... A very old and bedraggled crane is drug in by chains, and it looks like he's got scars on his face and maybe lost part of a finger. And, of course, this is all part of Dreyfus's vision or hallucination, as maybe Headless got a hold of some bad LSD. Yeah, because I'll tell you, seeing that was like, oh my gosh. Now, the question was when was this occurring in his vision? And I saw some tweet where someone said they thought it was like 2030, which would only be, what, 
13 years in the future. And I thought that Crane looked a little bit older than that. But I suppose if you've been tortured and chained up all the time, right. you, you, you age, age pretty quickly. quicker. <laughs> well, I also thought it was interesting because, of course, we've seen headless in chains. Right. And so I thought that was an interesting parallel for them then to put our hero, Crane, in chains. Yes. And it's just really weird to see. No, well, we'll go into this later. I. <laughs> oh, Dreyfus. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll get. We'll definitely get into yeah, that we'll later. We'll get into him. I was trying to figure out when they filmed this episode, actually, when they wrote it and filmed it, but we don't. Right. We may not want to go down that path. No, probably not. All right. Next, we see in the real world, Crane is trying to make a selfie video, and of course, Miss Molly is correcting him on how to do it properly, so he can at least have. <laughs> enough room for a caption now we discover that he has a pictogram account but no followers exactly can you imagine that i mean that cute emoji (laughs) emoji that zoe gave him that he loves so much oh my goodness yeah i'd follow him in a heartbeat (laughs) oh i know quite a few of our uh, female uh listeners that would be more than happy to follow that (laughs) now of course Through all of this, Molly ends up dropping his phone. He tells her it's all right. She kind of disses his generation. And, of course, he comes right back with quotes from The Who, being very British. And apparently Crane has been uh, investigating British pop and has um, landed on The Who, no less. I know that was funny because, of course, she didn't have a clue. And I wonder how many heads that went over. Ha ha. Headless. Yes. Headless (laughs) heads that went over uh, during the episode because it was very subtle. And when she said, what? And he said, who? And Diana's like, nice. And I'm sitting here because I'm old enough and I'm like, nice. Really nice. Yes. Yes. You have to be of a certain age to uh, catch that one as quickly as it went by. Yeah. So kids out there, if you haven't heard of The Who, oh, first of all, I feel for you. Second of all, go listen. Awesome rock. Google it. Yes. Google it. Google it. Yeah. Look it up. And we find out that they are waiting there so Molly can get a chance to meet her idol, Logan McDonald. And of course... She gets to meet him, and he collapses. Crane immediately notices the fiery look on his wrist and the supernatural affection. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, he spotted that right away. I'm surprised nobody else saw the uh, glowing veins or his glowing wrist there. Right. Although his publicist said, no pictures. Yeah. (laughs) And we wonder why they said that, but we find out later. So, of course, Crane immediately tells Diana, you get Molly out of here. I will follow up and follow Mr. Logan to the hospital where he runs into Alex and Jake. And they come to realize that many people seem to be infected with the same thing. Yeah, you immediately, think that be- Yeah, immediately you go, all right, what the frick is Dreyfus up to now? And, of course, it doesn't take too long before Crane actually ties it to the burning of Washington, D.C. in 1814, the War of 1812 against the British, and asks Jake 
to look for writings of one Paul Jennings. And he knows that, yes, the White House was burned in the Capitol and many other buildings. And then we went down the twistery path for the week. Yes, we did. <laughs> as this was all a British plan, as they all seem to be. Uh, they tacked up pamphlets around D.C. prior to the invasion. And, of course, anyone who read these cursed pamphlets became ill with the fire flu, so named by Mr. Jennings himself, spread by language. And they figure out that the current day version is being spread by video. Yeah, and very interesting, you know, because they said, oh, here it's the the written word. And Diana is saying, well, that wouldn't be that today because nobody reads pamphlets. And so it's got to be 140 (laughs) characters or less. less. Yeah, it's like tweet, tweet. And they were very quickly able to figure out that it was this video instead. And, of course, they thought that it came from Logan's account and that that had been hacked. Right. And the hacker was very good because they weren't able to trace who did it. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. So, of course, we get a great scene from Crane as he and and Diana are walking through D.C. where Crane thinks the citizens just need a bit of wisdom and turns around and starts to yell at everybody to turn off their cell phones. It is a weapon. Okay, that had to be the one of the funniest scenes last night. Yes, it was. Period. And I thought, how many people does he really think that he's going to reach by that? And just suddenly yelling. And Diana's like, oh my gosh, really? <laughs> and everybody looks at him like he's a complete nutcase standing out in the middle of D.C. Yes. Which I'd probably think exactly the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to give kudos for all the stand-ins because... Everyone that they shot gave a priceless look of, what kind of cuckoo are you? Yeah, the eye rolling, (laughs) the eye rolling, Uh, the, you know, attempt to avoid eye contact, the shaking of the head. Like, okay, he is completely a nut job. Just ignore him and he'll eventually go away. Right. But of course, not two seconds after that, he and Diana see somebody trying to stop his girlfriend from crossing the street and getting hit and we figure out that that's the wrong thing to do is grab somebody because the girl burst into flames and they are toast poof they went poof fast indeed they did within about a millisecond yeah and i'm surprised that nobody else that was around there for crane's little rant went ah right yeah, no, they must have been too busy staring at their phones. Oh, I bet they were. Now, of course, by this time, Jake has discovered that Alex is also infected and has gone into the underground tunnels. Crane basically forces Jake to focus so that they can find something in the vault to help Alex. Because, of course, Mr. Jennings must have had something written down as far as this evil virus curse is concerned. They got quite the surprise, didn't they? Yes, they did. There was a book. Yes, that had the same um, Arabic writing that Diana described. And we find out that 
Mr. Jennings was not only a slave to President Madison, but he was also an operative of Agent C-355. Now, I've got to ask, did anybody notice the 355 in the stained glass windows behind Diana's head in one of the shots? No, I did not see that. Yeah, so I've got a picture of that, and I am going to include that in the blog post, because there it was clear as a day, you know, on the, and, and I, and I didn't catch it until I guess the second watch, but I thought, oh, ho, 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 ho. that little <laughs> Easter know. egg there for us. How many times have they showed that to us previously where we may not have seen it? Right. Uh-huh, I'm guessing that they did. Yes. But he wasn't the only one. No. Nope. As we find out, <laughs> they had quite the team. They were their own and- team witness. No, but they were agency 355. Right. But who knows? It included Samuel Wilson, butcher and patriot, often known as Uncle Sam, Davy Crockett, Esther Paul Jennings, and Sacagawea. Now, you did some digging on how uh, possible this would be. Yeah, because I looked at birth dates and death dates. And so Samuel Wilson, he's okay. He was born in uh, 1766, died in 1854. So he would have been around in. In, eight, in 1814, as Davy Crockett, born 1786, died 1836, he, went around, he would have been around. Paul Jennings, we know he was around, and we're going to get to that in history because he was actually in the White House at that time. But we didn't quite make it on our last person, Sacagawea, Oops. of Lewis and Clark fame. Now, she was born in 1788. However, she died in 1812, which is a bit of an oops there. Now, there is some legend out there that says that perhaps she left her husband and she died in 1884, but 1812 is generally considered correct, so we've got to kind of hand wave that one. And there's also one other little piece of information that actually I just found. So there was something known as Agent 355, um, and that was the code name of a female spy during the American Revolution, and this person was part of the Culper Ring. And Agent 355 was one of the first spies for the United States but her real identity was unknown. And the number 355 could be decrypted from the system the Culper Ring used to mean lady. So anyway, that could be a tieback. That could be a, a, like a little acknowledgement to your little Betsy Ross, right? Yes. Um, and it, I know, I know you love Betsy. I had to find a way to bring her up for you. Um, Thank you. But it's interesting. So then this would be, in a way, if they're calling this, what, Agency 355, they're, I think, giving a nice little nod to another piece of history, and it's just sort of a little Easter egg hidden in there. Exactly. And yeah. well done, writers. Yeah, very well done. So I'm probably going to have to take that one and include that, a link for this in the show notes as well. There's going to be all kinds of little goodies in here for everyone today. Exactly. Now, we do find out that the only way to um, stop this curse is to eliminate the Dijin, and in this case, Samuel Wilson took the curse on so they could find the location, and when they did, Jennings was able to strike Dijin down with unholy lightning, the storm that saved Washington, and unfortunately, Samuel did not survive. So that's another hand wave, because we know he died a little bit later than, than 1814, so. Yes. Hand wave. But it made for a great twistery. It sure did. Now, of course, Crane is going to take it on himself to take the curse on 
and figure out where Dejin is. But not so fast as Jake beat him to it. And he never saw that coming. And he should have realized all the passion that Jake had had and how he was determined to save Alex. I'm, I'm surprised that that one got past him. Yes, quite a bit. Of course, they do find the place. It ends up being a future server farm held by Dreyfus Holdings. And we go, aha! But we knew that was coming. Yes, we did. Now, it was incredibly awesome the way they determined to make Unholy Lightning as Crane grabs the live ends of two electrical cords after he cuts them off, tries to get the Dijin near him, but Jake gets in the way after getting Alex out of the way. Then Alex gets back in the way again, but Crane is able to electrocute him after Diane shoots it, and of course it disappears and the spell is broken and everyone is okay. Yeah, that made me wonder if all of our electricity then can be unholy lightning. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, you just kind of pull the sockets and... Yeah. Yeah. But it was great, and they had to do that to save the day. Yes. Diana feels like something's bothering Crane, and he actually comes out and admits that, you know, he shows her the letter from Washington, and it weighs heavy on him having the responsibility of others. And I think it's still or fallout of Abby. Abby and Joe. I think right. both. And yes. definitely Abby. He does right. he almost lost two more team members. And look what almost happened to Molly. And yes. yeah, I agree. I think he's very concerned about having some of them die when they're not witnesses. Yes. And even a child witness. So yeah. I think he's still carrying that around, and that is appropriate. It's less than a year. He should still be grieving. So Yes, I agree, but this could turn into a very big weakness for Crane. I agree, because he could put it, end up putting himself in danger foolishly in an attempt or whatever he might believe would be his attempt to save someone else on the team. Right. Most likely. Maybe. Jetty, Molly, or Diana. Exactly. And yep. that may be why, at this point in time, the visions both Dreyfus and Molly are having is because that is what he did, got himself captured. And more than likely, Dreyfus was that killed everybody else off and just kept Crane because of the immortality. Or because he did want another witness coming to take. Crane's right. place. Right. Yeah. True. And so by by imprisoning him, then he doesn't have to worry about fighting an unknown entity. Right. Interesting thought. And of course, because they discover a portrait of the four original team of Agency 355, Crane decides they need to celebrate this victory with a selfie. Second best scene of the episode. That was so funny. And everyone say prunes. Prunes? Really? And Jake is like, well, people used to say that because the puckered face look was really popular. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Oh, there's only one thing that I know that people use prunes for, and we're not going to get into that either. No, not at all. No. So maybe we should talk about Jenny instead. I think so. 
All righty. So Jenny's over at the Thomas's house. Diana's having a security camera put in. Molly's like, really, Mom? Really? And she's like, totally, yes. And so Jenny is lending her expertise with her artifacts. And she's got a Celtic shield knot um, that was used by the ancient Druids to ward off spirits. And so she's mounted it up there. And it really does look like an uh, attractive piece in the home. It looks like a piece of art, I thought. I did, too. But I'm a huge Celtic uh, fan. Oh, that I know you are. Yes. So anyway, so I was surprised she didn't have a couple other things up there. And when Diana said, hey, listen, you know, Molly, you got to stay here. The babysitter, Clara, she's on her way over. Diana quickly gives a little debrief to Jenny about what had happened. And Jenny's like, well, well, wait a minute. I, I can take Molly for the day. You go with Crane. And she says, I want to get to know Molly better anyway. You know, she's, you know, she can teach Molly things, which is exactly what I think that Diana was a little worried about. I agree. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Because, of course, you get the comment, um, no teaching her how to shoot bazookas or learn how to do throwing stars or something and which of is course ex- molly overhears that and says oh jenny can you teach me how to do oh, comple- throwing stars?" completely and totally yes. so so finally she relents and jenny is gonna take molly and they're gonna hang out together and so she took her hiking and at that point in time that's when diana calls and she talks about this viral video and jenny learns about that And what was very interesting is that, of course, Molly, she has a child's curiosity. I mean, she's she went to the library. She was looking at books. I mean, that's what we saw last week. She wants to know what it is about being a witness. They promise they're going to tell her stuff. But hey, good old Aunt Jenny, you know, nod, nod, wink, wink. Jenny's (laughs) going to teach her a few things. Yes. And you knew that was coming. And Jenny wants to know Molly better because I think she is becoming the big sister. And she does know that this is the person that took my sister's place that has some piece of her soul inside of her. It's almost like bargaining when you go through the stages of grief. It's almost right. in a way like Jenny is in the bargaining stage, like, you know, let this let me see something of my sister in this young child. But she's having fun too. And so when Molly wanted to know about this witness test, Jenny is like, she's all there, right? So yes. Je- yeah, I mean completely. So Jenny showed her all these different artifacts, and she said, hey, listen, this, this really isn't a witness test per se, but this is an ancient Buddhist tradition to help the acolytes determine which path to follow in your, you know, in your life, and that anybody can use it. And then we get our call back when she says that, look, August Corbin showed me this. Right. And your heart just melts. Yes. And then she says, you know, look, there is no wrong choice because Molly says, what if I get it wrong? And she said, there is no wrong choice. And then Jenny says that she picked the crossbow when she was with August. And, you know, that's showing that she was, you know, a warrior. And that's exactly what Jenny became. She wasn't that initially, but she truly became the warrior. And so when Molly picks her singing bowl, and she has her vision. You know, Jenny is clearly freaked out, you know, because here's the child is passing out in front of her. And I would be scared to death, too. So then Molly told Jenny about the vision. Jenny told Diana about Molly's vision and basically said that she thought that something is coming. And they all know it's Dreyfus. And it, what was interesting was the line that was said at that point in time. They said that 
that Dreyfus had subjected the city to pestilence. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. 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 So we're going to talk about pestilence some more later. Yes, we will. <laughs> but yeah, but Jenny played more of a, she played a key role this week in the, I'll call it the education of Molly and helping Molly understand what Molly was going to become. But it was more of a side role. She was more out of the action. She didn't do any of the protecting per se this week, other than right. keeping Molly but, away from all the bad things that were going on. Exactly, which is doing quite a lot of protecting. <laughs> that that really is. So speaking of Molly and Diana, I mean, we we got a lot more of Molly, and it was interesting because after last week, I didn't think we were going to have as much of her in this episode. Right. And of course, she's front and center to start with because of trying to teach Crane how to take a proper selfie and um, loved how Crane calls her the master of the sacred ritual of the selfie. And that was so funny. <laughs> that, I just thought, uh, yeah, okay, anybody who's younger probably is. Absolutely. And she does get a selfie with her idol, Logan McDonald. And I don't think Logan's going to be her idol for too much longer. Well, well they're not going to tell. Well, they don't know that he's an evil guy. But so here's, oh, maybe I'll save this for later. Because I was uh-huh. wondering, what if, what mm-hmm. if that picture, what if there's like a, witness tracker in there somewhere right that would be scary okay and of course like we said earlier diana is initially hesitant to leave molly with jenny rather than babysitter clara but finally relents but doesn't want jenny teaching molly too much and learning which path you should probably follow is probably too much but yeah, I'm guessing that there was going to be some off-screen discussion between uh, Diana and Jenny about, don't you think that you should be asking me before you have my daughter start experimenting with ancient artifacts to find her path? Yes, or we may see it next week. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for another chewing out like the one at the school. Exactly. It's going to come. It's going to have to come. Yes. And of course, I love... Diana's line regarding the uh, security cameras was she wanted to make sure if anything supernatural showed up at her house, she wanted to be able to see it in HD. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not every monster you can actually see. We've learned that from experience. Yes, we have. And that's where the Celtic piece came in handy is to take care of the things that you can't see. Yep. Now, of course, when... Diana finds out that it is the video off of Logan's website. She immediately goes into panic mode, calls Molly to see if she's watched the video, asks her several times, trying to make sure she's getting the truth out of Molly. Basically, Jenny says, nope, we've been out hiking, so she couldn't have been watching any videos. Well, don't let her watch any. Keep her away from all social media, media including the any computer, any anything. Right, which basically proves that, yeah, if Clara would have been there, she would have been letting Molly be all over social media. Instead, with Jenny, they were out in nature. Yep, so, so that saved her. It sure did. So Diana needs to also take that into consideration. And it's real interesting to me that, Jenny tells Molly that each of the items puts off their own frequency and you just basically got to 
identify which one is you. She tells Molly that, yes, she picked the crossbow because she was a warrior. And Molly picks the singing bowl. And I actually think that it was smart for Jenny to go ahead and do this because Molly's going to keep learning. Molly wants to know. And they're not going to teach her enough stuff quickly enough for her young and inquisitive mind. Right. And of course, the bowl means that the path laid out before you is that of an oracle that Molly can see into people's souls. Hmm. Whose soul does she need to look into, I wonder? Yeah, but the thing that scared me is that, again, this was another parallel. So Job is having visions and Molly is having visions. Isn't that interesting? Malcolm, yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Malcolm. Yes, very uh, interesting. I can see her being the oracle, and I still don't know what he is. (laughs) He's a nutcase. Yes, he's a cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Yes, he is. Now, it was also absolutely fascinating that Diana was able to get some alternative medicine from Jenny's cabinet that would cause a rapid drop in body temperature. Yeah, I'm guessing there was a phone call that we didn't see. Yeah, because Jenny had to have said, okay, there was a viral video and people were catching on fire. Okay, well, here, I've got, this may help. Yeah, because Diana's not going to figure that out on her own. Jenny, Jenny would have had to have told her. Right, and provided it. And of course, Diana is the one who is able to get to Alex and inject her with the medicine. And she is the one that does shoot the Dijin that allows Crane to unholy lightning it. And good riddance, too. Yes. Creepy-looking monster. Yes. Another fantastic job by Corey. So Alex and Jake, we, we missed them last week. Yes, and they more than made up for it in this episode. Oh, my goodness gracious. So seeing that Alex is on a tender blind date that is not going well, and at first, when I, I looked across the bar, there's Jake, right? And we saw him in the screenshot. And I thought, was that coincidence? And then when, of course, when Alex mouths the help me to Jake, <laughs> and, and, and uh, of course, at that point in time, Jake had already told the other woman, well, I, I'm, we're, we're both here at the same time, and my Tinder date didn't show up. And we're all like, oh, no, that's so sad. But that is such a total buddy system, right? Hey, hey, come along with exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah, or call me or text me or get me out of there. We have a special word or something. Get me out of there if the date isn't going very well. And the date wasn't and going well. No, but Jake was still hitting on the bartender a oh, big he, time. He completely was. Yes. You know, he starts talking about something about this what the this particular wine isn't what or it's too fruity or not fruity enough or whatever. Right. And she calls him a pink wine expert and I'm up doing a face palm thinking is Rosé really in now? And then I remembered, oh, I think someone did tell me Rosé is back in again cuz all I'm thinking of is box wine, right? Like uh. <laughs> So if I've insulted any of you in our listening audience who are you know, like totally into Rosé, my apologies, but it wasn't a thing for a while, guys. It was kind of made fun of. But I think it's yeah. hot now. Pardon the pun. So then he's poking on on her to watch. Oh, look at this video. Look at this video I just downloaded today. And we don't realize at that point in time she's seen it. Because right. because basically, after telling her date, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> yeah. I thought, how many times has someone really wanted to say that to someone? 
And nothing hold out, holds Alex back. Yes. <laughs> and all of a sudden her date collapses. And then he starts to smoke. There's yeah. smoke coming off of him. Yeah. And they all go to the hospital. And they run into Crane. And they head down to this guy's room. And he goes, poof, and he explodes into flames. And the shock and horror on their faces is palatable. For oh, and Jake, we find out Jake is a total germaphobe. Oh, that was so funny, because I don't oh, think we've seen hilarious. that out of him no, so far. No, had not. And that was so unexpected. Completely. Just, I mean, he was with Crane looking at those hideous apartments for crying out loud. Exactly. I mean, I'm surprised he wasn't spraying himself down with Lysol on the way out the door. Oh, my gosh. You know, disinfect me, please. But anyway, so after all this, and once they all go back to the vault, it's Jake the one is the one who knows immediately about Paul Jennings and that Paul Jennings was a slave of President Madison in the White House. He wasn't a servant because Crane called him a servant. And Jake was like immediately like, no, he was a slave. And it's like, okay, you go, Jake. And then, of course, as they're trying to figure things out, and Crane is outside doing his rant about, put down your mobile devices. That's when Jake and Alex are left alone, and Jake knows something is wrong with Alex, and he guesses that she watched the video, and she confesses that she did. And there she is, and she's infected, and you can see on her arm, and you're thinking, holy sugar, she's in trouble. Yes. And he is insistent that they can solve this together. And she says no, and she flees down into the tunnels, and she locked him in. I didn't realize that there was a lock on that side of the door. That surprised me. I thought it was on the other side. Yeah. But it worked. And then, okay, so then when Crane and Diana come in, and then he tells them what's going on, and they're like, oh, my gosh. And Crane and Diana, of course, have already seen the other guy trying to stop his girlfriend, wife, whatever, the jogger, and the two of them burst into flames. And so Crane is saying, no, you can't go after her and stop her. It would have made it worse. So, but okay, so then Alex called Jake, right, from the tunnels. So what was that? Okay, I, I, it was just a small clip of the ringtone. But wasn't it something about fire? I think so. I think so, too. All right, so smart listeners. It was only a clip. I listened to it twice, and I couldn't figure it out. But I know it's something I've heard before. It has to do with fire. Smart listeners out there, let us know which song that was, okay? Because it was something that would make us laugh, I'm sure. So help us, please. All right, so then while she's on the phone with him, she says she hears a voice and that she's following a voice and she drops her phone and Jake freaks. Yes, because he's afraid that she is in deep trouble. Well, we know that she's in deep trouble. So Diana then describes the symbol that she saw on the back of the the jogger before the jogger burst into flames, and Alex knows what it is. And so that's when he finds the book that was written by Jennings, and he gives it to Crane. And so then they all start to figure out what's going on. They figure out it's the djinn that she's heading to the lair to be consumed or burned, and he is so completely racked with guilt. And once he heard about the Agency 355 members from Crane, he was completely freaked. Yes. And that's when he went ahead and he said that he was taking the curse upon himself to go find Alex. And so he's not going to let her go through it alone. And then he hears the voice and he tells Crane and Diana that he knows where they, you know, where she is and off they're going to go find her. Yeah, but you got to give Jake his props because... Before they head out, he tells Crane, 
don't let anything, be it kid or anything else, get their paws on his perfect Captain B Smash Force action figures. Collect all five. <laughs> I, and I, he said that, I'm like, that was the last thing I expected to hear, right? And I'm like, oh, exactly. Jake, your priorities. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, who are you saving them for, really? But I got to say, when they got down into that lair, when Alex was first in the lair first, right? And then we saw Logan down there, too. And then ultimately, our whole crew was down there. Didn't that lair look like a whole bunch of... Tardises? Yes. It did. <laughs> did it? It really did. It was very, it was very Whovian to me. So we had a Who and we had a Doctor Who in the episode. So we had another set of parallels. It was great. And that call back to the Captain Beast Smash Force that Crane had been looking at for the birthday present. Collect all five. I love it. So while they're down there, here's Alex. She's walking toward the Dijin. And then Diana, as you said, hit her with the meds. And then all of a sudden, Jake starts going toward the Jin. And meanwhile, I guess the, the meds are taking an effect on... Alex, because then she rushes to push Jake out of the way. So you can see the strength of that friendship. At least she saw what was happening. Something started to process, but she still, because you know she wasn't under out from underneath that spell yet. Right. And then poof, once Crane and Diana took care of business, there they are and they're good. And Alex swears that she is never using a dating app again. <laughs> I'm like, good idea, huh? And I could have told you that before you even began with that thing. Is Tinder that popular, really? I mean, I we've seen that used I, on I, our show Frequency, right? Yes. And here they've got it on this. And I've and actually, I had gone out and Googled it before, and it looks like it's actually fairly popular. So I missed the boat yes. on that one, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. I don't regret yeah. it. It's Let's just call it an all-encompassing dating app. <laughs> oh, gross. Okay, that's just great. I'm sure all of you out there who use it and love it, that's great. I'm not dissing Tinder. Well, maybe I am. Right. <laughs> All right. So they got back in the vault. Everyone was in the vault. And Alex and Jade have, Jake had this marvelous heart-to-heart talk. I mean, they are like total besties. And then Alex just throws her arms around him and gives him a big hug. And he's like, you, you still feeling a little hot there or what? You know, a little feverish <laughs> there? You sure you're okay? But I think that, you know, Jake seems to be so much more grounded in a way. He's a very happy, positive person. We know from the episode in which everyone went to Sleepy Hollow. We know that she actually ran away from her town. She didn't want to be there. She wanted to be in the big city. And I don't think that she has a whole lot of connections. Oh, absolutely not. And so this friendship is really important to her. And did he actually risk his life to save her? I think that just amazed and astounded her that someone would care that much about her as a friend to do that for her. Yes, yes. And yeah, it took Jacob back because it was... That's nothing to him. He would do that for his friends. And, of course, it was hilarious that as they're hugging, Crane and Diana come in. And Diana goes, oh, do uh, you two need a minute? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. Not what you think. It's, no, it's not. And then Jake, who knows where every single thing is in that vault and where it is in storage. He pulls out this great big wooden box, you know, and I was looking at that and I'm thinking, what on earth is that? And they open it up and there is a picture of the original Agency 355 crew and they hung it up. So now they've got a picture, their own original team witness or team Agency 355. 
as sort of their inspiration. And and Jake says, hey, listen, you know, basically we are the occupational descendants of these real heroes. And he is so excited. And so there they have Jennings, Wilson, Crockett, Sacagawea. And so that's, I think, inspiration. And Jake is in his glory, in his element. He wanted X-Files. He wanted Supernatural. And he's got it. He is ecstatic. Yeah. Even when he has to risk his life. Yeah. This is how he wanted to spend his time and his energies and his talents. Yes. And he's, he gets to do it. And he's got some bad guys he's going to have to work against. And I have a feeling there's going to be some nasty interactions coming up on the horizon. Oh, indeed there will be. Because Malcolm has become completely psychotic. He already was psychotic before all this happened. He was a nutcase. He is a nutcase. Way off the deep end, five times over. Because now he's got this great vision of him becoming the leader of America in the future. And he can't decide which word he likes best, dictator, tyrant, or emperor. Or czar, or whatever you want to call him. He doesn't care. Right, because people just don't want to have to rule themselves. Yeehaw. And thank God it was a vision, but at least we kind of have an idea of what Dreyfus's plan is now. And of course, we get the great line from Dreyfus that, yeah, it was a vision or Headless had LSD running through his bloodstream, which yeah, I think Dreyfus is sampled ODing on some LSD. I think he <laughs> sampled it in his past because that oh, might yes. explain a lot. I'm beginning to wonder who they based his character on. I have one or two <laughs> ideas. And of course, he's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to the America. I also thought or- it was interesting when Job said to him, oh, did you have another vision? Right. So he's had a bunch of these already. Yes. And it's interesting. Oh, did you have another vision? And it's kind of like, tell me about it. What did you see? And so he gets all the information so that when the time comes, he will know exactly when to flip the switch on the plan. I'm kind of looking forward to Joe pulling one over on Dreyfus. And I, although that's interesting because that would be sort of the same thing that happened last season when Pandora pulled one over on a whiny one, oh, hidden one. Right. So I don't know. Maybe I'd like something a little different, but Dreyfus is just, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe it'll be Logan that does it. Hmm. We'll see. And of course, Job reminds him that, yes, Crane and his team stopped the outbreak. And Dreyfus doesn't care because he's seen the future and he's assembling his own team. And the first member is Logan himself. Patient Zero. Yes, already wanting more. He feels the power growing. He wants to meet the others. Yeah, see, when they all want power, there's only room for one person there at the top. And uh, so I think, I don't know, maybe maybe they'll self-destruct against each other. Now, there yes. was something about Dreyfus and the symbol that he used on that flag. Did right. you catch that one? Yes, it was the um, Ansel that is the symbol of life after death. Uh, to the Hindus. Right. So that's interesting because, of course, he's theoretically dead, even though he thinks he's immortal. So, yeah, that makes sense that he would use something like that. Yes, it does. And, of course, the line that 
it didn't take overnight to build the United States. It's not going to take one day to bring it down, you know, trying to teach young Logan some patience. Yeah, we'll see how that works out for him. Exactly. Because as we know, if Logan is anything like uh, Peter Pan, there won't be any patience. No, there won't be. Oh, and yeah. for those who don't know, he was Peter Pan, the actor who is portraying Logan is, uh, was Peter Pan on Once Upon a Time. Yes, and made an awesome bad guy. Yeah, he was. He was a great bad guy. And so he's doing it again, apparently. Yes. Uh, you know, when you saw him in Dungeon's Lair, you think, oh, well, maybe he's just a victim as well. But when he shows up at Dreyfus, you go, oh, no. Yeah, I didn't expect that. No. That surprised me, but... Um, although I think one of the articles that we had seen before the season began said that he was going to be on for more than one episode. So then you, you're thinking, well, if he is, then he's got to be a bad guy. Right. And of course, our monster of the week was the Dijin. It was an Arabian demon, powerful, made of smokeless scorching fire. And the video curse transmitted the symbol of the Dijin onto the flesh of those who read and saw it. And those people are compelled to find the lair where it will consume their life force with his flames. And that's what it was doing, all right. Yeah, they were all just kind of walking in a circle and he'd stop them. And the one that kept walking would be the one that he would take. He was building up quite a um, energy source there. Yeah, he was. I thought and it was. Of course, he was. The, the one cool thing he did was he was able to. Um, Throw a fireball at Diana. Yeah, and we've seen a number of fireballs thrown during uh, Sleepy Hollow episodes. Yes, we have. Well, of course, I guess if it comes from H-E-L-L and the devil, yeah, I guess we're going to see quite a bit of fire. Right. Shall we move into some side notes? Yeah, let's do that, Steve. So I guess a little bit more on the Dijin. So this does come from Arabian lore, and and I've got to give a shout out to uh, the Sleepy Hollow writers because we've had monsters from all different places. I think it's it's very interesting, the variety that they managed to find. But anyway, so the, uh, the Dijin is supposed to be a race of supernaturally empowered beings that have the ability to intervene in the affairs of people, and they can either be good or evil. Uh, one of them appear, appears as a wish-granting genie in tales such as the Book of 1001 Nights. And according to pre-Islamic lore, they are born of smokeless fire and are not immortal, though which I thought that was interesting. And that's clearly the case because our teammate managed to make it go poof. Yeah. Now in Western lore, they are sometimes equated with demons and portrayed as having a demonic-like appearance. And it definitely did. But there's a lot, of more, a lot more interesting facts about these creatures. And I'm going to go ahead and include a link in the show notes since it is a very interesting read. Right. And they also referenced the storm that saved Washington, which and- is actually, true it's true i couldn't believe it i thought and i thought why would they say something like that and i thought holy cow that is true yes tornadoes are rare in dc and there were potentially three on august 24th 1814 that did drive the british out of the city as their occupation only lasted 26 hours as the british troops were preparing to leave a conversation was noted between the british admiral and a washington lady regarding the storm The admiral exclaimed, Great God, madam, 
Is this the kind of storm to which you are accustomed in this infernal country? The lady answered, No, sir, this is a special interposition of providence to drive our enemies from our city. The admiral replied, Not so, madam. It is rather to aid your enemies in the destruction of your city. Yeah, well, he was wrong about that, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And yeah, there are, I used to live in um, in Maryland, and you know, you do have periodic, periodically you get, you might get a tornado warning or a tornado watch, but there are not that many of them. So yeah, to have potentially three in one day on the day that the British were attacking, holy Toledo. Yeah. <laughs> Providence. I'm going to include a link uh, in the show notes for that as well, because that was, there was some more very interesting reading about that. Yes, and we once again, our guest cast included Kamar Delares as Job, the one and only Robbie Kay as Logan McDonald, Fedor Steer as the Dejin, Jay Jordan as Paul Jennings, Daniel Parvis as Davy Crockett, Rick Esperellet as Samuel Wilson, and Diana Rincon as Sacagawea. And they did a great job. Yes. <laughs> so I guess maybe we should get into some theories and prophecies, huh, Steve? Let's do it. So why do you think Dreyfus needs Logan and the others? Is is this going to be his own army? Could Logan even become a horseman? Oh, I absolutely believe Logan will become a horseman. Well, we've only got four, and we know that Headless is still around, right? Right. And we're not sure if Henry Parrish is really gone-gone, or if he could potentially be the horseman of war again. Right. And we're thinking Dreyfus is a is a horseman. He could be. Yeah. I kind of think not, but we'll see. Well, it's interesting because we've been talking about is he either you know the horseman of of famine because of his silly that cloak he was wearing. I'm not going to call it a silly cloak. Right. It was a beautiful job by the costume department, but he looked kind of like Dracula. And so I think we've dismissed that by saying, well, maybe he is the horseman known as either conquest or pestilence. So, and they've mentioned pestilence several think, times, several times now. And the when you look up anything about this horseman of conquest or pestilence, he's also sometimes referred to as the Antichrist. So I'm and and we've got some feedback in the Facebook feedback that Annette got for us here this past week that I want to go through. Another reason why I think that this time this he's he's pestilence. Um, but I think I'm going to stick with that this time instead of, you know, waffling so that I can cover all my cover all my bets. Oh, of course. So that if so, if he's that, then I it's then how many people would he really need? So I'm just not sure. So I think we're yeah. going to need to watch a little bit more. Yes. And why is Job still playing along with this? <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I he could he be? I yeah. I think Job is in it for the long game. Oh, it's got to be. He has to be. He's just given Dreyfus all the rope he needs to hang himself. And I'd have to think that some of these visions he's having are really coming compliments of the devil. I, uh, I bet on it. Yeah, but it's feeding this big ego that Dreyfus has so that maybe ultimately he's going to do what the devil really wants and he's going to have to sacrifice himself and become one of four. And right. that's not going to make him very happy. No. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe these other guys are backup. Maybe they're they're backup horsemen. I I just don't know. <laughs> I know. Or maybe he's going to use them as his own little devil army to help fight Team Witness. But if he Very thinks well. he's that all-powerful, then why does he need anyone else? 
Yeah. Huh. I mean, he's just trying to make sure nobody gets any bright ideas. Apparently. Now, how many people started shipping Jake and Alex after this episode? Oh, I saw a couple tweets. I'm sure. But no, I think they're going to stay best buds. I don't think we're going to see anything more than that. Yeah, and I don't... I don't want to ship them. Um, well, I'm not going to ship them. All right. I don't want to see them together. I want them to be buddies. I want them to be part of a, a very strong working team. Right. So, yeah. No romantic entanglements for anybody right now. We have a team yes. that's gelling. Let's exactly. leave it that way. Exactly. All right, Steve. So what are our ickyisms or team witnessisms for the week? <laughs> oh, we've got a few here. In Dreyfus's uh, vision, I love Crane saying, you take this off for one minute, and I'll show you morning. Oh, yeah. He was. He still had that fighting spirit. <laughs> yes, he did. And, of course, with Miss Molly, while I am an expert in many fields, I should have acknowledged that you, Miss Molly, are the master of the sacred ritual of the soul. And that was so perfect. <laughs> Your generation is so weird. My generation. You know, people try to put us down just because we get around. <laughs> Yeah, and we're not singing it, but I'll go out and look on YouTube and see if I can find it. And if I can, I'll put it in the show notes for any of you all who don't know. The who. And social media is rife with what? Cat videos? But just imagine what could be achieved, what grand heights could be scaled where a true leader like Jefferson or Lincoln alive today. Using social if- media. No, not a good idea. I think we already <laughs> yeah. know that. And what's wrong with cat videos anyway? Come on. (laughs) I like cat videos. (laughs) What if they had access to Facebook and Picogram and Snapchat? We have an opportunity, an opportunity to spread a noble message far and wide. Oh, no, no, (laughs) and no some more. (laughs) All right. Yeah, wrong. Yeah, wrong answer, Crane. Sorry you did get that one wrong. Right. And a little of Jake's uh, germophobia. I'd take salmonella over supernatural disease any day. Well, just because Crane's here doesn't mean it's definitely supernatural. I mean, there are dozens of biological explanations for these sort of systems. (laughs) Jay goes, trust me, it's the monster flu. I know, I like that. Monster (laughs) flu. (laughs) That was so good. As soon as Crane showed up, he knew it was (laughs) not good. And Diana... When they found the book, well, that may have worked in the War of 1812, but nobody reads pamphlets now, not unless they're 140 characters or less. That is so true. Jake, this is a real viral video. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely. And Crane's great speech. Sometimes all the people need are just words of leadership. People of Washington, switch (laughs) off your mobile devices. They're dangerous. Your mobile devices, no weapon. Switch them off. (laughs) Diana goes, now I could have told you that wasn't going to work. No kidding. (laughs) That was a great rant. Yes. (laughs) And once they find out what the Dijian is, Diana goes, okay, so we're after a blue guy that grants wishes and lives in a lamp? No? A PG version, maybe? No, no. Uh, no, afraid not. <laughs> Alex, no, I'm never using a dating app again. Keep your promise. And 
Crane, might I suggest we gather for a moment and celebrate today's victory in the great tradition of 355 agents of yore with a commemorative selfie. Yes. <laughs> like they took that picture of themselves. Say prunes. Who says prunes? Uh, back in the day, people did say prunes instead of cheese. Yeah, puckered lips were really cool back then. I miss normal people. I know. <laughs> normal people. None. None there. All right. How about this week's history lesson? Okay. It was hard this week because there was so much good history. And so we've, we've given you a lot of pieces of it. But it had to be Paul Jennings. So Paul Jennings was a personal servant as a young slave to President James Madison during and after his White House years. After buying his freedom in 1845 from Daniel Webster, Jennings is noted for publishing in 1865 the first White House memoir. So it wasn't done by a president. Isn't that smart? His book was A Colored Man's Reminiscences of James Madison, described as a singular document in the history of slavery and the early American Republic. Jennings was born into slavery at Mount Pelier in 1799. His mother, who was African Native American, was held by the Madisons. Now, she told the boy that his father was Benjamin Jennings, an English trader. The mixed-race slave as a child was a companion to Dolly's, Dolly Madison's son, Payne Todd. He began to serve James Madison as his footman and later was trained as his body servant. And I wonder if that means bodyguard. Right. At the age of 10, Jennings accompanied Madison and his family to the White House after Madison was elected president. In his 1865 memoir, he noted that the East Room was yet unfinished from the first construction. Most of the Washington streets were unpaved, and the city was a dreary place in those years. Now, in 1814, during the burning of Washington, as British troops were approaching the White House, Jennings, at age 15 with two other men, reportedly helped save the noted Gilbert Stuart portrait of George Washington, known as the Lansdowne Portrait. He was separated from his family while in service to the widowed Dolly Madison and was hired out to President James Polk in 1845, and Senator Daniel Webster purchased him for $120 from a new owner, and then Senator Webster gave Jennings his freedom. Now, Jennings paid the senator back by working for him. In 1848, Jennings helped a mass escape of 77 slaves from Washington, D.C., but they were caught and returned. Jennings ultimately returned to Virginia in the late 1850s as a free man, and he reunited with his family. His three sons fought for the Union during the American Civil War, and after the war, Jennings worked at the newly established Pension Bureau to handle claims of veterans and soldiers' families. He made the acquaintance of John Brooks Russell. Fascinated by Jennings' story of his years with Madison, Russell wrote it down and published it for him in January 1863, and the historical magazine and notes and queries concerning the antiquities, history and biography of America, where Russell had been a contributor. He helped Jennings gain publication of his memoir as a book in 1865, and it is considered the first White House memoir. He lived in Washington, D.C. until his death in 1874, and Jennings was aged 75 at the time of his passing. Now, there is so much interesting information to read about him, and this barely scratches the surface. So I'm going to include three different links in the show notes. Two of them are links to information about his life. And the third one is actually the electronic edition of this book that he wrote, A Colored Man's Reminiscences 
of James Madison because it's only 19 pages long, and you can read more about what he had to say. Another great history lesson there, Barb. Thank you. I'm just really glad that the show Sleepy Hollow has so much of this and gives us the opportunity to get into all of that. Yes. It does. Amazing job. They do a fantastic job. Thank them enough. So, Steve, did we get any feedback this week? Well, yes, we do. Unfortunately, Bestie Justina did not provide any, but we are going to forgive her because today is her birthday. Happy birthday, Justina. Happy, happy birthday, Justina. Hope you have a great one. House is almost built, and I'm sure they're busy getting things ready to move in. I bet we'll get just, I'll bet we're going to get feedback from her next week. Oh, I know we will. Yeah. A good old Todd Schwartzberg gave us some feedback on Facebook. Just wanted to say the last few weeks, I've been kind of meh on the TV show, maybe because I watch it with Grimm, a similar show. Well, maybe not that similar. It's always late after a full work day, maybe because they changed almost everything about the show and not totally in a good way. I have been falling asleep during it and not having the energy to rewatch the episodes. Almost gave up on watching the show or just listening to your podcast to get the recap without having watched the episode at all. Well, thanks for <laughs> continuing to listen to us, Todd. I forced myself to rewatch last week's episode earlier today, though, finally, and I'm glad I did because it seemed to be a pretty original story, and I like the twist with the ex-husband and the little red riding hood thing. Oh, the black kid and the tech girl weren't in it at all, which was interesting to me and made me nostalgic for the original team of Crane and Jenny, at least. Maybe keeping the crew smaller makes a show like this work better. I don't know. Not ragging on the new actor's ability at all, just that the characters seem redundant, kind of playing out a trope I've made mention of that before. Not actor's fault at all. All this to say, I'm back to giving the show a chance again, but I'm giving it a short leash as well. Am I alone in interest waning from the show of late, or do some of you share some of my view? Thanks for letting me share, Vent. See you tomorrow night. Yeah, and I think, you know, there are, there are a lot of folks um, that walked away from the show at the end of last year after, especially after um, Nicole Bahari was gone. Yes. And there are people, though, that are rediscovering the show. And so I, I think that a lot of folks have been very pleasantly surprised this year. I think so, too, because I think almost everybody kind of went into it with Todd's attitude is prove to me you've got something worth watching. and. They have. And because I think we were quite exceeded our expectation. Yeah. And we were, we've been skeptical, you know, at least originally when we realized that it was going to be Molly, a child that was going to be the witness. You know, I was kind of skeptical too. It's like, okay, show me. But I have to say that I have really enjoyed how they brought it along this season. Um, The right amount of nostalgia. And and now it's, you know, let's fish and fish or cut bait. Right. So the the shortened season may actually work in their benefit this year. I believe so. Yeah. Well, we also got some feedback from Annette. Now, this was a follow-up from last week because, um, you know, we talked about the veiny look that Dreyfus got. And I said, look, I know that we've seen this previously. And so I threw out the challenge. Hey, where was it? And so Annette got back to us and she said, hey, listen, these black veins appeared in the episode John Doe um, when the horsemen of pestilence chased Thomas out of the woods. And so I'm like, hey, that's great. You know, I knew that we'd seen it before. So the question is, is Dreyfus infected or is he going to infect others? And so this was from season one, episode five, 
John Doe. And this is where the boy left the Roanoke colony and he was infected. And so ultimately they, they brought him back and what it turned out to be was that the entire colony was dead. Right. And so they were kind of cursed. And so once they were quote unquote cured, then they all vanished. So I'm saying, okay. And that's when I decided, okay, so maybe Dreyfus is going to be the horseman of pestilence rather than famine. And so now I really do think that he's going to be pestilence with all these other clues about pestilence that they keep throwing out here periodically. Right. <laughs> so I, a big shout out. Thanks, Annette, for um, for finding that and, and getting us directed to the right place, because I knew we had seen it before. I just couldn't think of it. Right. And our Twitter, Facebook question of the week, why does Dreyfus need a rock star like Logan and how will he use him? Annette replied, I think he will use him against Molly. Let's hope not. See, and that's what I'm afraid of, too, is that that selfie that maybe they can come back and trace her in some way. But I don't I don't know that Dreyfus and Job know that Molly is a witness. Not yet. No, no, I don't know. But it may be when Diane is on team witness and she's the only one that's got a child. It's still a target. Absolutely. Right. And that may be how Molly is able to see Dreyfus, interact with him, and take a good hard look into his soul. Yeah, and we don't and think... that may be able to give Team Witness the information they need to defeat him. Yeah, that's true, because the the, the Dijin was definitely one of Dreyfus's monsters. Yes. But we don't believe that the Barkhast was. No. That he actually was signaled by Molly. Yes. Which would keep which would mean that he wouldn't necessarily know yet. Right. All right. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And we want to thank everyone for the retweets and interaction this week. This week's shout outs go to M. Raven Metzner, Philip Isco, Janina Gavakar, Rachel Melvin, Sleepy Hollow Riders, Joey Falco, this week's writer, Sleepy Hollow Addict, Tom Meissen fans, Monica Succi. Brooke, AP Camp Life, Lawrence Griffin, Bill Donald, Pam Woods, Joyce Williams, Mary Powers, Michelle McKeever, Deb Kay, Luca Rossi, Tiffany T, Kevin Batchelder, Susan, Polly T, Debbie Lamb, WTS fan, Pamela Edwards, Danny, Melissa Ann Bacon, Sin H, Judy, Kittle, Lane, Wonder Woman, Diane, The Third Wave, Penny Ellington, VLJH, Karen McDonald, Rebecca Mary, Paul Johnston, Linda, Todd, Julie, Annette, and Tracy. How can they get a hold of us, Barb? Well, they can get a hold of us through our voicemail number, which is 304-837-2278, or they can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, where you can use the speak pipe widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can typey-typey out your feedback on the form, and you can even attach audio feedback. Now, our feedback deadline is Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also find us on Facebook on the Witness Prophecies page. You can interact with us with Twitter, as so many people do, at Witness Prof, GSM. Steve is at Salyer Steve. I'm at Tangier14. And you know what, Steve? With all these folks that we interact with um, on Twitter and the folks that are listening to this, it would be sure cool to get a couple of additional um, iTunes reviews, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. So guys, if you're so inclined, we'd love to hear from you. 
All right. It's that time of the podcast where we discuss visions of the future. So if you don't want to be spoiled about upcoming episodes. And this is normally where I say run, but if you ran in the wrong direction and you were grabbed, then you would like burst into flame. So pretend that that the Dijon is out there and and I don't know if I want you to run or not, though. But get out of here. Turn your cell phones off. Yeah. Oh, there. That's a great idea. Turn your cell phones off. People of Washington and everywhere else. All right. Episode nine, Child's Play. Imagination and reality meet on an all-new Sleepy Hollow Friday, March 3rd, when a monster appears that resembles Molly's childhood imaginary friend, Diana realizes her daughter's life as a witness will be anything but normal. Meanwhile, Molly gets a chance to see the vault for the first time. Ooh, exciting. Do you think she's going to have a golem? Ooh, wouldn't that be interesting? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it very well could be. Oh, wow. Hmm. That, oh, I would love to see that. That that might come in real handy as we wind up this Uh, season. And I believe this is the episode that is written by our favorite assistant from last season. And I drew a blank on her name. I want to say it was Kelsey, but I think I'm wrong. But So we're going to have a first-time writer here doing an episode. Very cool. Yes. Okay, somebody we like a lot. (laughs) Very good. Okay, episode 10, which is going to air on March the 10th, is Insatiable. A monster that's hungry for destruction hits DC on an all-new Sleepy Hollow. When one of Diana's mentors is targeted by a horrific monster, she decides that the team must channel all of their power towards stopping Dreyfus. Meanwhile, Dreyfus and Jove have a breakthrough on a project of which Team Witness may not yet be aware. Hmm. I'm thinking that project is the collection of uh, Logan et al., right? Right. Hmm. Hmm. the horseman. Oh, yeah, that could be. That could yes. be. But I'm looking here on the uh, guest list, and I don't see him here. Interesting. Right. Yes. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Episode 11, The Way of the Gun, an important connection is revealed on an all-new Sleepy Hollow, Friday, March 17th. When a mysterious woman finds her way into the vault, the team struggles to understand who she is and with whom her alliances lie. Meanwhile, Alex must come to terms with her complicated feelings when she finds herself in a tight spot. Woohoo! Mm. Can team witness handle what might be revealed? I wonder if Alex is going to be somewhat afraid after what happened to her. Yeah, it's very possible. Very possible. And I'm surprised that Alex is going to be in another type sp- tight spot. I've been expecting Jake to be uh, have to be saved, but I'm changing my opinion on that now. Yep. Okay, episode 12. We do not have the date for this yet, but if March 17th is going to be 11, and there are only two more episodes after that, it looks like we're going to wrap up on the 20, the, we'll have the 24th for episode 12 and the 31st for... Episode 13, and that'll probably end it for us. And tomorrow is the title of episode 12. And I think you've heard something about that, haven't you, Steve? Right. This is a near-look future if Dreyfus takes control and should have the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Interesting, because we're talking about the near future. And here in the vision that we just had this past week, that seemed to be further into the future. Right. And episode 13 is entitled Freedom. 
And if you want to catch up on some some of the great season one and season two stories and monsters, pick up a copy of Sleepy Hollow, Creating Heroes, Demons, and Monsters, the official making of book by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. I'm going to be waiting for their season three and season four book. Right. And believe me, they've done other fantastic books on TV shows. They really do fantastic work. Please review us and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews that helps other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. Tell your friends, and we do really hope you're enjoying our podcast. This is Steve, and a heavy burden weighs upon me. Look at them. They are true of heart. They fought bravely today. What if tomorrow's battles are the next? What if my war on evil leads one of them to an early grave? And this is Barb signing out. And remember, before you post anything to the social media world, ask yourself, is that really necessary information that needs to be shared? See you next week, sleepyheads.